Okay, welcome back. So we left off last week with an introduction into Kavana and an introduction into the structures that we're going to see in this Sidur throughout these next few Shiurim. Now the first section of the Sidur, which we're um, confronted with when we open any Sidur, is Berchot HaShachar. The first part of Shachrit is Berchot HaShachar, which are the blessings, the morning blessings that we say every day. Um, in the particular case of Shachrit, this amounts to maybe 15, 20 different blessings that we say every day in the morning when we, when we wake up. And it begins with, in most Sidurim, it begins with Al Nitilat Yadayim, and then it goes on to and then and then you have all the regular brachot of etc. But in order to introduce Birkot HaShachar and this entire section of um, brachot, it's important for us to first um, introduce the general theme of brachot to begin with. Today we're going to be looking at in particular Al-Tilat Yadayim, but if one really wants to understand Berchot HaShachar, or the next couple of um, brachot that we're going to be, be saying in Berchot HaShachar and the ones we're going to be looking at, we first have to understand why Berchot are so important. And if you think about it, Judaism seems to be a very blessing-full religion. We say Berchot every um opportunity that we have, if you're doing it right, at least according to Halacha, we end up saying more than a hundred brachot a day. It's an incredible amount of brachot that we say every day. We say we have a bracha for everything. We have a bracha for for going to sleep. We have a bracha for using the bathroom. We have a bracha for eating, for putting on tefillin. We have a bracha for after we eat. Right, left, up and down, everywhere we go, we say a bracha. And therefore, it's important to understand why Barachot are so central to all of our uh, all of our avodah and so many of our mitzvot as well? We find the concept of Baracha mentioned really early in the Torah. We find it by Avram Avinu giving to Yitzchak and Yitzchak Hashem giving to Avram Avinu really, and then Avram Avinu to Yitzchak and Yitzchak to Yaakov and Yaakov to the sons and especially to Yosef. We find the concept of quote unquote blessing very, very early in the Torah. In Halacha, especially in the, in the quote-unquote brachot that we're familiar with, there's three main categories of uh, brachot. We have birkot hanehanin, which are um, brachot that you make when you enjoy something, whether you eat, you're about to eat something, whether it is a brachan b'samim, all of these things are called birkot hanehanin. Another category of brachot is birkot hashvach. These are brachot which we make to praise Hashem. Brachot such as birkot uh, hasova, um, which are the brachos we make after we eat, or the bracha of hagomel, which is a, a kind of birkot hoda'a, perhaps the bracha on halel. All these things fall into the general category of birkot hashvach. All the brachot that we say in the morning like Hanoten Asichvirina and Pokeach Livrim, these all fall into the category of Birkot Hashvach. And lastly, we have Birkot HaMitzvot. We have the Brachot, which are said, Asher Kedishan Mitzvotav Itzivanu, 
al or le lehadlik nereshal shabbat al netilat yadayim. These are the kinds of brachot that we're familiar with. But the concept of bracha, of blessing, and how it comes into this world, and how humans relate to it, is actually all over the Torah, but it's never explained in the Torah. So it's really important that at least once or twice in our lives we pay attention and we um, think about what brachot mean and how they affect our lives and how does the bracha that Avraham Avinu was, was promised and Yaakov promised his sons, how do those things apply to us? So what does the word baruch mean? In general, we have two meanings that come to mind when we think the word baruch. The word can mean either praise or it can mean blessing in the sense of adding good to something. So we see it in the sense of praise all the time. We say it's barach, it's roman, nasei. We say that in the Kaddish that we should, we should um, praise and we should raise Hashem's name, we use the word bracha in the sense that we're praising Hashem's name. And on the other hand, we have um, many instances where it means to bless something, to give it more blessing. Like if um, when the Avot came to, moved in to Kena'an, Kena'an received a lot of blessing. It says, Hashem It doesn't mean that Hashem will praise us and watch over us. And watch over us. means that Hashem will give us blessing and he will watch over us. These are the two main um, meanings of bracha. However, it's obvious that when we say baruch Hashem in any bracha, that we're not, we don't mean um, blessed are you, Hashem. Because if it meant blessed are you, Hashem, you, you find yourself in hot water really quickly. We discussed, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago, the problem of laudatory prayer and all the dangers that come along with it. It's really difficult to say, blessed are you Hashem. If we say, blessed are you Hashem, that means that we're saying that Hashem has been blessed. And who did the bless? <coughs> who, I'm sorry, who did that blessing? There's no other person who is a source of blessing other than Hashem. We cannot give Hashem more good. We cannot tell Hashem, oh, you're so blessed, because that would make no sense. Who was doing that blessing? Who could possibly increase good or give more influence to a perfect being? So it cannot mean that we are calling Hashem Baruch, calling Hashem blessed. So many Rishonim, such as Rabbeinu Bachia and... Um, and I believe the Ramban, um, many of the Rishonim learn that the, and the Abu Darham especially, learn that the, that the word Baruch is more of, a, of an adjective than it is a verb. What they mean by that is that it's like, like the word Rachum, like the, like the word Chanun, the word means Hashem is not blessed, rather he is the source of all blessing. That is the um, plain meaning of the word, of the phrase Baruch Atah Hashem. Every time we say Baruch Atah Hashem, we have to understand and we have to think of the meaning to mean you are the source of all blessings, Hashem. Now, most Hidurim that you'll find do not 
um, articulate this fully. They don't, they don't write it out, the entire long thing. They don't say, you are the source of all blessing, Hashem. They just say simply, blessed are you, Hashem, and they expect to, for you to accept the concise, um, the concise formulation of that. But it could mean the same thing. Blessed are you could mean that you are the source of all blessing, so they just stick with that because it's more um, concise. Now, that's if we take the word to mean blessing. In the, in, the, in, the, in the classical sense of the word that it means to add goodness or to increase goodness on something. However, it's interesting that the Nefesh HaChaim takes this idea a lot deeper. In Shar Beit, in the Sefer Nefesh HaChaim, he goes into a very long, um, very long uh, essay or chapters, many chapters on this idea of bracha, of blessing, and the idea of, of avodah, of uh, praying to Hashem. And he says something interesting. He says that the word bracha doesn't mean what most people think. The, most of the, he says most of the masses think that the word bracha means to praise or to, to give blessing to Hashem. That's not what the word bracha means. He says the source of the word bracha comes from the word bricha, which means a spring. And therefore, like a spring, a spring of water, for example, or uh, you know, a well that springs forth. The word bracha comes from the, is is related to. I'm sorry, the word bricha, which means to increase or to multiply. And by saying that, he he asserts that when we say baruch Hashem, we mean that we should increase from Hashem all of our good. We should receive an increase from Hashem of influence, of positive, positive influence into our life from Hashem. Now, then, after making that assertion, he goes on and he says that just like food binds the soul to the body, because if you didn't eat food, you would die. So we know that because we eat food, it keeps our neshama in our body, in the same way, saying a biracha binds our soul to Hashem and gives our neshama sustenance. It keeps our neshama, quote-unquote, healthy and alive in the same way that food keeps our bodies healthy and alive. And therefore, a biracha means to increase or to multiply our hashba'a um, from Hashem into our neshama and to give us more kedusha and to bring all of the spiritual which we can receive from the physical into every act that we do. So I first saw this Nefesh HaChaim a really long time ago. And when I first saw it, I actually, um, I, I thought he was make he was overcomplicating something which should have been a lot more simple. He, he spends many, 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 many pages speaking about the mechanics of this and uh, how Hashem brings Shefa into the world and how Hashem wants to bring bracha into the world, and he wants us to make all of our uh, physical pursuits, whether it's um, eating, drinking, doing mitzvot, everything he wants to bring, he wants it to infuse our neshamot with holiness, and he wants to bring more shefa into the world by, by, by giving us these mitzvot. I thought, I thought that he was spending way too much time on this. It, it sounded very overcomplicated to me, um, because he was focusing it all on the, on the sense of bracha. And then... Many, many, a lot, a lot, many, many months, or a long, I don't remember how long it was, 
very long time later, when I looked at it again, I realized that I was very mistaken. In, in reality, the Nefesh HaChaim was oversimplifying something that is inherently a lot more complicated. I found in the Sefer Habahir, um, I don't remember where it was pointed out to me, that in the Sefer Habahir, he gives, an, the it's, it's Sefer Habahir is a medrash, a very, very, very ancient medrash, um, which is mostly very esoteric, all al piha Kabbalah. And in the Sefer Habahir, he, the, the Tana compares the word bracha to the word berech, which means ni, like berkayim. Ki lecha tichra kol berech. We say in Aleinut that to you will kneel every knee. Furthermore, this is a Mishnah, I believe in um, Kalayim, which says, somebody who kneels down a vine. What that means is when you take a vine that had grown out of the ground and you loop it back into the ground in order to, um, to replant the vine and make, it, and make it grow even more. He says that the word bracha is related to the word berech, berkaim, which means a knee or to kneel down. And it seems that the, the function of a bracha is a function which allows Hashem's presence, so to speak, or Hashem's hashba'ah to come from a transcendent place and kneel it down, or so to speak, and to bring it closer to this world. It brings Hashem, who's transcendent, more imminent to us, more close to us. It kneels it down. Furthermore, the mashal from Hamavricha Tagefen is actually fascinating because it means that you take something which is already planted, you take something which is already successful, you take something which is already, um, if you take something which is already successful, has some inherent kedushah in it, and you replant it, you put it back into this world, that's where it increases and it multiplies. For example, you could have a tzaddik who himself is very successful. He's already like a vine, gone up, has gone higher. And he has gone to a place which is more transcendent, more kadosh. And by attaching ourselves to him, we can loop back down into this world. We can replant that kedushah and multiply more. The power of bracha in this um, mechanism is not just one to increase, but it's also to multiply by its very uh, mechanism. Its mechanism is to increase and to multiply by taking what was already there and multiplying it further. Um, in the in the Sefer Habahiri, he doesn't elaborate on exactly how that works, but as we'll see, there is more to this. There's a famous halacha, which we learned from Gemara in Menachot, and the Gemara says that we have that the Amr B'Meir, I believe the Lashon is, um, let me find it. Rameir Omer, Meya Brachot Chayev Adam Levarech Bakol Yom. That Mayor says that a person has to bless a hundred blessings every day. Why? Because it says in the Pasuk, Ma Hashem Shuel Meimach Kim Liyirah Oto. What does Hashem ask for you but to fear Him? 
Don't read the word as ma, rather mea, which means a hundred. So Hashem requests from us to say one hundred shemot Hashem, or one hundred brachot, every single day. Now, in the tour in Memvav, he brings a medrash, which is a medrash in Bamidbar Rabbah, I think it's Yurches, and... It's also, he, he cites it from a tshuva that Rav Natronaiga owns sent. Um, I don't remember to where. It was to a community. I think um, Lucena was the community. Was the community. Um, Rabbi Natronaiga own was once asked. He was one of the, one of the uh, mid, um, middle geonim. He was asked by a community what the 100 brachot b'chol yom were and if they, he could list it for them. And he sent them back a tshuva with a response as to what all those 100 brachot were and how you get to 100 brachot every day. And in it, he also says the history, which is, again, a midrash that we have um, in Bamidbar. And he says as follows. He says that in the time of David HaMelech, there was a magefa, there was a plague. And a hundred people, and in some Svarim, I think it says a hundred children were dying every single day. And David HaMelech understood that the only way to stop the Magefa was to institute this Takana that we have to say 100 Brachot every day. Now, in the Prisha, um, on the tour, he says something very interesting. Let me just find it. So he's, the preach on the tour says that we have to understand that David HaMelech was a Navi. And it would seem that what happened was that 100, when 100 people started dying, he says, Pirush, Kasher ha'ashe b'chol yom etu me'a nefashot tiken shivarachu b'chol yom me'a brachot, u'baze ya'atzor ha'mavet. He says that what's most logical that must have happened was that David HaMelech recognized and realized that according to this secret of Aleph Yud Kuf and Beis Chafresh, which is known to the Mikubalim, he realized why everyone was... Uh, why there was 100 people dying every day. So he went to the Sanhedrin and he explained to them this secret because they were, they were post-scheme, they were not all Nevi'im like himself. And once he explained the secret to the Sanhedrin, he convinced them to make a takana that everyone has to say 100 brachot every day. Now, eventually what happened was that the Anshay Knesset HaGadola formulated um, 100 that though the 100 that we know of today but when i first learned this tour i learned it also very uh, quite a quite a long time ago because i was learning it la halakha and i had absolutely no idea what the prisha meant i mean obviously um asod hayadul mukbalim which is alafud kuf and beit khafresh i i'm not very familiar with but there is an interesting maharshal uh, sorry maharal which points out that the word Baruch, uh, Barach, sorry, Beis uh, Reish all of the letters in that word are multiples of two. 
you have bet, which is two, you have chaf, which is uh, 20, and you have resh, which is 200. And he says, this is something known to the Mikubalim as the secret of two, 220, which indicates that the number two is the lowest multiple, is the lowest number which can be a multiple. That is in contrast to the, to the number one, which, or sorry, to any odd number, like three or six, uh, three or five, in where if you divide it enough, you'll always have a remainder. So they're not, <coughs> they're not a pure multiple. And that's the, the quote-unquote secret of, of 220 and, and 200, is that these numbers represent multiplication and they represent increase. And therefore, bracha brings increase into our world. It brings and it multiplies um, using uh, the Orf the, HaMashem, the it brings more Kedusha into our world. Um, later I found, um, even more interesting, was that there's a, there's a Sefer called Sha'are Ora. And in the Sha'are Ora, on the first parak, he is discussing different Shemot HaShem and Specifically with the Shem Hashem regarding Adnut, he gets into discussion regarding Brachot. And in that discussion regarding Brachot, he does explain this entire Sod Aleph Yud Kuf, this whole secret of the 110, 100, and the secret of the 220 and 200. Um, the entire explanation, I don't understand, it is beyond the scope of this year. But um, to summarize, there is a... Nishama, shall we call it? There is a source of Kala Yisrael which begins in a unity as one. That itself divides after that into ten, and that underneath it divides into one hundred. And if those one, and if all of the bracha in the world comes down into a system of one that then divides into 10 and then divides into 100. Therefore, bracha works like a bricha, like a spring, which goes down from 1 to 10, goes down in a system of, of kedusha, which starts with 1 and then 10 and then 100. And therefore, if there aren't 100 brachot said every day, you're being pogeim, quote-unquote, in this neshama, and therefore it doesn't allow this multiplicity, this... Um, ability, this, I'm sorry, this capability for there to be multiplicity in the universe, in the world, to come down, and therefore it's pogim in it, and that was what caused the magefa. Again, I'm saying the words, I don't necessarily understand them. It is fascinating, though, that he says the word bricha is very specific, because a bricha, a spring, can either be its own source, or it can source other things. Therefore, it could simultaneously be a noten and it could be a mikabel. That's why bracha is important because the way bracha transmits and flows throughout this system can be um, coming straight from Hashem or it could come down through a system of greater people in Klai Yisrael to lower people in Klai Yisrael. And therefore, because this, the, the system of bracha on a Kabbalistic level comes down to the world in a system of a hundred, if of uh, of shefa, which is divided into a hundred, whatever that means. Therefore, if someone is pogim 
and doesn't say a hundred berachot, they don't activate every one of these 100 conduits of Shefa, and that itself is pogem. Well, excuse me. The, um, that itself is pogem, the Shefa that can come from Shemaim and therefore be pogem, this quote-unquote collective neshama. Which I found very interesting. These aren't words that I necessarily understand, but that is the quote-unquote secret of Aleph Yud Kuf, Beit Chafresh, the uh, systems known to the Mikubalim, which are completely esoteric to us. So, so to summarize, we know that Hashem brings bracha down to the world. We know that there is a defined system for how Hashem's Shefa gets into our world and how it's possible that a singular unified God can create a world of dynamism, a world of multiplicity, a world where, where there's change. And Hashem lets his bracha down into this world through, uh, lets his influence into this world through a system of bracha. That system of bracha stresses an importance for us to make 100 brachot every day to fulfill and to activate that system of brachot, which I find very interesting myself. Okay, so that's the background of brachot and why they're important. Now, what is the history of brachot? It's very nice that um, we, can, we, we can discuss all of the ma'alot of saying brachot from today to tomorrow. I mean, even on a simple level, saying brachot is extremely important just to recognize, simply to recognize Hashem in our lives, you know, a hundred times a day is an incredible exercise. It's something that somebody new to Judaism might find a little bit bizarre, but it's a, a, a wonderful exercise. But have we been doing this always? Have we been um, making brachot since you know the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, or is it something newer? Is it something since Anshei Knesset HaGedola? So what's interesting is that there is a... Gemara and Brachot on Nundalad Amralaf, which says that in the Beit HaMikdash, the Bracha that they used to say, I'm sorry, when they used to say Shimona Esrei, the formulation of the Brachot were as follows, and I'm sure most people are familiar with this Pasuk, it's said in, in Nach more than once, Baruch Hashem Elokei Israel Min HaOlam Ad HaOlam. Blessed is Hashem, the God of Israel, min ha'olam ve'ad ha'olam. And that was how they concluded the brachot of Shemona Esrei. So for example, they would say, atachonein l'adam dat, etc. Then they would say, baruch atah Hashem, elokei Yisrael, min ha'olam ve'ad ha'olam, baruch chonein hada'at. And that's how they would answer. Um, originally, in the first Beit HaMikdash, it says that they only said, baruch Hashem, elokei Yisrael, min ha'olam. Some people have the gears of Ad HaOlam. However, in the time of the second Beit HaMikdash, when there were too many heretics, people who believed in the Greek um, idea of only one world, in the, in the um, idea that the world came first and not God, people subscribed to that idea, believed that there was no Olam Haba, and therefore they added Min HaOlam, the Ad HaOlam, which means Hashem is, is Baruch, is the source of all blessing in this world, and in the next world, they were stressing that there is another world. During the first Beit HaMikdash, people were on a high enough level that they didn't have to stress that there was another world um, after this one. But 
during the second Beit HaMikdash, there was enough heretics that it was, it was necessary for them to say, Baruch Hashem, Elokei Sol, Min HaOlam, Ve'ad HaOlam. As to the reply, in the Gvulim, meaning in the, in the, in the boundaries, the, any place outside of the Beit HaMikdash, people would answer to a bracha, they would answer Amen. But in the Beit HaMikdash, they would answer, Baruch Shem Kivod Machuto Le'olam Ba'ed. Now, why would they do that? So the Mepharshim say, very simple, because in the Beit HaMikdash, they would say the Shem HaMufarash. They would say Hashem's name out loud. And when one says Hashem's real name out loud, as pronounced with a Yud and a He and a Vav and a He, then we have to say, Baruch Shem Kivod Machuto Le'olam Ba'ed. However, they never explain as to why that's necessary. None of the Rishonim explain why you can't simply answer Amen to the Shema Miforash. Um, and I always wonder that myself, but I was I, I found someone brought a Maharsha in the back of Sota. I believe it is. I wrote it down. No, it's a Maharsha in the back of Menachot. Memo Mebez. Maharsha says something very brilliant. He says, and I think we'll discuss Amen more, when we get to Kaddish. But he says that the function of Amen, of the word Amen, is to be mitzaref. As we were discussing before with the Sha'are Orah, that all the bracha in the world comes through the power of the Shem Hashem of Adnut, of Yudke Vavke, as, as represented in, in Adnut. And therefore, the function of Amen is to bind Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud with Yudke Vavke. Because the, the way we read Yud Kei Vav Kei is Aleph Dalid Nun Yud. And the way we, we, um, it's written is Yud Kei Vav Kei. Now, Yud Kei Vav Kei, the Gematria is 26. Aleph Dalid Nun Yud, the Gematria is 65. And therefore, when you add Aleph Dalid Nun Yud to Yud Kei Vav Kei, you get 91, which is the same Gematria as Amen. So when we in Galut, or when we're out of the Beit HaMikdash, when we say Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, when we say Adnut, we only get to 65. And therefore, we have to say Amen at the end of the Beracha in order to be Mitzaref, to bind Yudke Vavke, which is called the Kri, the, I'm sorry, the Ketiv, the written, to the Kri, to the thing which is actually said. But in the Beit HaMikdash, there was no need for Amen because there was no need for Tziruf. There was no need to bind the Kri to the Ketiv because they said the, the Ketiv. They actually said what was written. The Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. And therefore, they would reply, Baruch Shem Kvod Machuto Le'olam Ba'ed, which is the standard and the appropriate response to one who hears Hashem's name. So I found that very, very interesting. Now, again, since in the Beit HaMikdash they simply said, Baruch Hashem Elokei Yisrael, um, when did we start saying Baruch Atah Hashem? So there's a Midrash in Tehillim, Ted Zayin, which says that there's a Machloket. I'm sorry, well, let's, let's put aside the Machloket for now. But the Gemara basically says that Rav instituted that we should say Ata in every Bracha. Why? Because the Pasuk says, Shiviti Hashem tamid, that I have placed Hashem next to me at all times. And it's very important at the beginning of a bracha to speak directly to Hashem, to make it to make as if Hashem is standing right in front of you. And if you do that, and in order to do that, we have to say Baruch Ata Hashem, blessed are you, Hashem. And this leads into something which is very interesting. Is a there's a, a Ramban in in um, 
in Bishalach, Perak Tetzvav, Pasuk Chavav, who very concisely speaks about this idea that the first half of the bracha that we say is what's called nochach, which means direct, directly to Hashem. We speak it directly to Hashem. And the second half is nistar, is we speak of Hashem in the third person. Elokeinu melech haolam, our God who is the king of the universe, Asher Kedeshanu, who commanded us, we speak of him in the first part, in, in the third person. The first part of the bracha, we speak of him in the first person. And in the second part of the bracha, we talk about him in the third person. We switch from nochach to nistar. And the Ramban gives a Kabbalistic reason for it. He says that there's, it's important to bind these two aspects of Hashem together. We have to take the, well, not even speaking Kabbalistically, we have to take the, the imminence of Hashem in our life and attach it to the transcendent Hashem. We have to realize that Hashem, who is one, is the same Hashem of the hidden cosmos. He's the same Hashem who gives us all the bracha in our lives. This Hashem that we could both speak to here imminently is the same Hashem who is the Hashem that we cannot understand, the Nistar, the hidden one, the one of, who created the world um, and the one who gave us misfot that we have no, um, that we really don't have any real reasons for, the misfot we don't all completely understand and they come from a place of divine intelligence. Okay, so we, figure, we finished Baruch and the word Ata. And we discussed Nochach, that's the first half of the, of the, uh, Baruch Atah Hashem is Nochach, and the second half is Alekinu Achalam is Nistar. So, the middle of every bracha, we just said Baruch Atah Hashem, is Hashem Elokeinu. So Yudke Vavke, and Aleph Lamid, uh, Hei Nun Vav. And the difference between, um, Adnut and Elokeinu is pretty well known. Most people, it's interesting that the Mechaber, the, the Shuchan Aruch here by Netilat Yadayim stops and he, he points out by the first Bracha Birkot HaShachar what the Kavanah is to have when you say um, Yudkei Vavkei and what Kavanah to have when you say Elokeinu. And he says if you don't have these, these Kavanot, you're not Yotzei. Um, we don't Paschal like that, unfortunately. I mean, the Gras says you only have to have these Kavanot during Kriyat Shema. Um, otherwise you're not Yotze, which is how we, which is the halacha. Um, but he says that, and this is pretty well known, that uh, Yudke Vavke, the kavanah that we have during Yudke Vavke is haya hovevi yeh, was, is, and always will be. Um, and Adon HaKol, he's the master of everything. He's the omnipotent, all-powerful one. And he's, the, sorry, the master of everything. And Elokeinu is takif bal hayacholot kulam. He is the mighty and the omnipotent one. So again, Yudke Vavke is Adon Hakol, master of everything, Hayah Hovevi, yeah? And Elokeinu is Takif Bal Hayacholot Kulam, the mighty and the omnipotent. Those are the kavanot we have to have when we say Hashem Elokeinu. And this is because Hashem, the, the name Hashem represents Hashem's infinite aspect, the unknowable aspect, the, the manifestation of Hashem which we do not understand. And Elokeinu is the, is the aspect of Hashem which is more related to our world, the world of causation. Um, Elokeinu, for example, is Gematriah HaTeva, the nature, meaning that Hashem's manifestation in this world, the one that we're more imminently familiar with, is the, the Shem Hashem of Elokeinu. So this is the first, the, the, the Nistar, Baruch Atah, I'm sorry, the, um, the Nigla, we speak Baruch Atah Hashem, 
to to we say we speak directly even to Adnut, and then we say Elokeinu Melech Haolam, who in the third person we say who is the God of nature, but is also the King of Haolam. The word Olam comes from um, the word Neelam or Helam, which means to be hidden. We, here in the, the first part of the Bacha, we 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 stress that the same Hashem, which is transcendent, is also imminent. He's also the, the, the one who is imminent, is also transcendent. The Hashem that we say a bracha to every day, the Hashem that we involve in our life, in our mitzvot, is, and binding ourselves to the, these mitzvot and to these foods and everything that we eat brings us closer to Him as long as we have Him in mind and we articulate it every time. Okay. So, Asher Kiddushanu. Um... Oh, I, actually, I, I wrote down one thing I, I wanted to mention, that there's a machloket in the Gemara, which it's a, it's a halachic machloket, but I was trying to look into this. I couldn't find enough material. Um, there's a machloket between Rav and, and, and Rav Yochanan, which is ma'akev, meaning if you forget to say Hashem or if you forget to say melech haolam, which one disqualifies the bracha. And it seems to be a machloket regarding which part of the bracha is more... Um, gravitas, um, shall we say, whether it's the Nochach, whether it's the Nistar. So I found that to be a very interesting Machoket. Okay, Asher Kedeshanu. The one who, in our bracha here in Atilat Yudayim, we begin with Asher Kedeshanu, who made us holy, b'misotav, b'tzivanu. Hashem who made us holy with his brachot, with his mitzvot. Now we know Hashem gave us 613 mitzvot. We know that, um, all of these mitzvot make us holy. So what does that mean? So it is also known to us that there is, quote-unquote, 613 parts of the human body. So very often when, when the when the Rishonim or any of the Gemarot speak about 613 parts of the human body, they don't mean the physical parts of the human body. When we say that there's Ramach Evarim Gidim, we mean that there are 248 spiritual concepts and 365 spiritual concepts which exist. And those spiritual concepts which exist are empowered by the mitzvot aseh and the mitzvot lotaseh. And because those spiritual concepts exist and they are empowered by the mitzvot, though, therefore there are things in the physical world which can also exist such as our tendons, our limbs, um, our bones. They don't, it's not a causative chain. It's not causation. Rather, it's contingency. There's 613 spiritual evarim um, in our bodies, and the mitzvot are what um, bind every part of our body back to Kiddushah. So all of the mitzvot make us holy as people, and they also make us holy as a nation. And it also works the other way. The not only do the mitzvot make us holy, but we, we are holy only because we have the mitzvot. We are holy only because we have the Torah. It's a, it's a intrinsic relationship that we cannot be holy without them, and we have to be, treat them as holy. The Abu Darham, um, and I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure that's very obvious to most people that the Torah is what makes us kodesh. That the Torah is what makes us. Um, holy and the mitzvot are part of a function to make uh, of a greater whole to make all of us um, holy. The Abu Darham says something fascinating, and I don't think most people know this. The Abu Darham says 
that the, his opinion is that Asher Kedishanu doesn't mean the God who made us holy with his commandments. He says the word Asher Kedishanu doesn't mean Kadosh in the sense of holy. He says Asher Kedishanu means um, the word Kodesh here comes from the word Kiddushin, as in marriage. So Asher Kedishanu Bimisotavitzivanu means who betrothed himself to us with his mitzvot. Hashem quote unquote married himself to us by giving us the Torah, which again I fi- found amazing. Vitzivanu um, and commanded us. So this word is really a preface to you know Vitzivanu al Vitzivanu le hadlik. It's 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 really a descriptor. It's saying and he commanded us to do this and he commanded us to do that. But it's worth noting that we don't say a bracha for everything. We don't say a bracha for kibuda ve'aim. We don't say a bracha for shilu hakain. We don't say a bracha. There's hundreds of misfot that we do every day, which we simply don't make a bracha for. When you give uh, money to an ani, do you say a bracha before you give money to the ani? We don't. And in fact, the Rishonim discuss this. It's 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 a very tricky um, idea to why Chazal were mitaken certain brachot for certain misfot and others they did not. Um, especially if brachot are so important, we should be binding all of our action with our speech and we should be articulating every time and you know multiplying Kiddushah and bringing more Shefa into the world every opportunity we have. So why don't we say bracha by everything? So the Rishonim point out that the Ganshikin HaSatagdola made a rigid halachic system about when one can make a bracha. For example, they say there's no single key to understand when we do make a bracha and when we don't. It's more nuanced than that. For example, there are situations where you can't make a bracha, for example, on giving mishloach manot, because uh, maybe the person's not going to take the mishloach manot from you. You can't, you can't make a bracha on giving money to an ani, because maybe he won't. Ta- it's out of your control. Maybe he won't take it from you. You can't make a bracha on things which are, de- are, are have to do with... Uh, Dayanut, because maybe if, if you're about to paskin a halacha as a dayan, maybe the guy is not going to accept the halacha. So there's many different scenarios where they show that brachot were either improper, incompatible, inappropriate, or too great, or the area was too great. So the Sheikh carefully selected scenarios where it was appropriate every single time um, to make a bracha, but there's no single it seems that there's no singular rule for when we do make brachot and when we don't. All we know is that we have the categories birkot hananin, birkot hashvach, and birkot hamitzvot. We don't seem to um, have a single rule as to when we do make brachot and when, and when we don't. Um, okay, so in this case, at the end of bracha, we see al netilat yadayim, on washing the hands in the morning. Okay, so... Different people have different minhagim with al-natilat yadayim. I mean, we could spend uh, hours on just the halachot of netilat yadayim, but to summarize, uh, some people will say, will do netilat yadayim at home and then come come to, sh- and they will use the bathroom, but they won't say brachot. Only when they get to shul will they say al-natilat yadayim and asher yatsar. Our minhag is not like that. We say... When we, when we wash our hands, after we wash our hands, obviously, because we can't make the bracha when our hands are dirty, and we say um, at home. That's at least the Sfaradi, Minhag, predominantly. Um, so why do we make Nitilat Yadayim? There's three reasons brought in the post-scheme. 
The first reason is very simple. We have to wash our hands before we pray. Just like the Nevi, the sorry, the Leviim, the Kohanim had to wash their hands in the Beit HaMikdash, so too, the halacha is that we wash our hands before tefillah. So therefore, tefillah Yadayim is a preparatory tefillah for tefillah um, shachrit. The second reason is brought by the Rush. The Rush says that Yadayim Askaniyotin, that um, hands are busy, meaning in the middle of the night, especially most in those days, most people used to sleep um, naked. They, they didn't have any clothing on. And therefore, the hands would go wherever they went. And it was very likely that people's hands would be dirty when they woke up. And therefore, you cannot dive in with your hands dirty. And so we have to wash our hands on it to die before we pray. Um, and lastly, this is a brought by the Rajbah in one of his Teshuvot. He says the reason is Tumah. Because when a person goes to sleep at night and he wakes up, there's a certain tuma which lies on his hands, and he has to wash them off, wash off that tuma with uh, three times on this hand, three times on that hand, in order to get it off. So the Beit Yosef in in in, um, in the tour, the Rabbi Yosef Karo, he brings he does something uncharacteristic, and he brings uh, maybe it is two three pages of Zohar in the Beit Yosef, in order to elaborate on what the halacha would be for Al-Natilat Yedayim. And he quotes the whole Zohar verbatim. Um, I don't believe we have time to go through it right now. But the idea is basically this, and it's a very famous idea, which we'll discuss when we get to Elokai Neshama, that when a person goes to sleep, a chilek of his neshama leaves his body. His soul leaves his body, so to speak. And when his soul leaves the body, it's one-sixtieth of death. It's as if he died a little bit, and therefore a ruach tumah lies on his body when he's sleeping. When the neshama comes back into the body, that ruach tumah leaves his body. However, says the Zohar, that tumah is highly attracted to extremities, and therefore it can still reside, the, the residuals of that tumah will reside on the extremities of a person's hands, his fingernails, and therefore, there's a special system, a special way to get rid of that Tumah, and that's through Netilat Yadayim, through washing our hands. It's interesting, um, also, there's a there's uh, a um, a section of the Z- that Zohar which says that because of this, David HaMelech was very careful not to fall asleep at a certain time of the night, because he would, would not allow a certain type of Tumat to come upon him because he was David, as the Zohar puts it, David Melech Yisrael, Chai Kayam, he understood his role to be a very special role of Malchut, which could be untainted, and therefore he wouldn't go to sleep at a certain time of night because that falling asleep for more than a certain amount of time at a certain time of night would uh, let that, this quote-unquote minor Tumat mate fall on a person, so he would keep himself awake, and he would write Shirim Tishbachot at night, and he would learn at night. And that was the practice of David HaMelech to avoid even this tiny Tumah of Tumat Met. So now, how about the word Al-Netilat Yadayim? Um, Netila, for example. What does it mean to wash your hands? Where does that word come from? So some say that there was a Kli, there was a type of uh, pitcher in the time of the Tanaim called a Natla. It was the Aramaic word Natla, which basically just a keli, which can hold a revi'it. And therefore, because the name of the keli was a natla, the word became nitilat yadayim. It's, it's the, the verbal form of that word, to wash your hands. Now, others say that, no, it's just the opposite. It was always called nitilat yadayim. And because it was called nitilat yadayim, they called this 
um, Kaylee a natla. But that begs the question, what does netilat yadayim mean? Therefore, we shouldn't even say that this word netila is actually a Hebrew word. And it comes from the word to, and it comes from a root which means to raise up. Pasuk says, that we shall lift him up and raise him up. This means the, uh, the glory of Hashem all the days of, of the world. And netilat yadayim means to raise our hands to a higher level of kedusha. Because our hands represent our most precise actions. Whenever we do action which is very precise, we use our hands. Therefore, when we make on the, when we say on the tilat yadayim, we're being mekadesh, we're we're sanctifying all of our actions that are about to come in the coming day to Hashem. We raise up our hands to a higher level of kedusha, and we prepare our um, actions and our day for the for the, all the further mitzvot that are to come. So now on tilat yadayim is a classic example of a bracha which is called matbeya kitzara a short-form bracha. This is a bracha which starts, Baruch Hashem Elkein and then it ends abruptly, like Shachon Yabidvaro. Next week, we're going to look at Asher Yatsar, which is a classic example of a bracha, which is Matbeya Arucha, which is a long form, which starts off, Baruch Hashem Elkein then it begins a topic, and then it has a closing um, remark, which is related to the original topic, and then it's Chotem, you end it with Baruch Hashem so that's the Matzbeya Arucha, which we're going to see next week. And hope to see you then.